How we conceive of God often determines how we perceive ourselves. And sometimes we need to heal our disfigured images of God so that we can hear the gospel's resounding message that we are already worthy before we ever do anything at all with our money bags. That's the Reverend Mark Feldmeyer, and today he shares a powerful message of faith called The Parable of the Harsh Master. I'm Dalton Rushing. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's your host to introduce today's speaker. This is guest host Dalton Rushing, and today on Day One, we're pleased to welcome the Reverend Mark Feldmeyer, Senior Pastor of St. Andrew United Methodist Church in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. He previously served churches in Orange County and San Diego, California. Mark is the author of five books, including his latest, Life After God, Finding Faith When You Can't Believe Anymore. He's a graduate of the University of California, Riverside, and earned his Master of Divinity degree from Claremont School of Theology, where he's been an adjunct faculty member in homiletics. Mark, welcome to day one. Thanks so much, Dalton. It's great to be with you. The church you pastor, St. Andrew United Methodist, is a thriving multi-campus church south of Denver. How would you summarize everything that's happening there? What are you most excited about? Well, Dalton, I'm super excited about a congregation that is deeply committed to being in ministry with a broader community outside the walls of the church. Hmm. Uh, meeting the needs of a diverse group of people from ages and and places and stations of life that um, that all speak to our mission and vision as a church, which is uh, to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the presence of Christ. And how would you describe your church's community in Highlands Ranch? What are the needs there, and how is St. Andrew working to help meet them? Highlands Ranch itself is a fairly affluent community uh, of professional people who work hard and play hard and um, surprisingly uh, exhibit signs of loneliness and disconnection at a rate higher than the national average, according to some of the studies. And so we're really trying to find ways to be in touch with them and to connect them uh, to the body of Christ uh, in ways that are more life-giving than some of the ways that they're living their lives today. You have an amazing ministry of writing, and your latest book is quite powerful and profound. It's called Life After God, Finding Faith When You Can't Believe Anymore. It seems you have your finger on the pulse of so many people who found themselves turned off by faith for whatever reasons, and there are many. You offer understanding and hope for people who find themselves in this situation, and even for those whose faith is still strong, but who find themselves in very challenging circumstances. First, why did you write this book? What prompted it? In my pastoral experience, I have uh, so many conversations with people about how difficult it is for them to believe in the God that they were told about and taught about earlier in their lives. And they're faced with a crisis in which they either have to maintain and continue to embrace those beliefs or to walk away from uh, the life of faith altogether. Hmm. And so my hope in the book is to give people 
some new concepts to think about who God is and how God works in their lives and in the world. And some of those ways are less conventional and orthodox, mm. but they are ways that affirm their real life experience that they live every day. How do you strive to offer hope and faith to readers through this book? I would say human agency is uh, a big part of the book, that if if we can understand that um, God's power is one of persuasion, mm. of one of cooperation and collaboration with us, that we get to choose how our futures unfold, mm. that the the paint on the canvas of our lives is not ever dry, mm. and that God continues to work with us and for us and before us, going before us always. Um, I think that's the message of hope, that we're not stuck in the past and we're not uh, convicted to a future that's already been predetermined, that we get to work it out with God. Earlier, you wrote a book called A House Divided, Engaging the Issues Through the Politics of Compassion. And I have a feeling this one is needed more than ever, too, as we enter a year of presidential politics. (laughs) How would you summarize your approach in this book? Believe it or not, there is far more agreement and common ground on these issues Mm. that maybe our news media would otherwise tell us is not there. There's a profit there for our news media to maintain that polarization. If we as people of faith can find certain, as I call them in the book, axioms that are grounded in Scripture and in theology and in real life experience, we can find ways to begin to talk about some of the big hot-button issues uh, that currently divide us but seem to have uh, some perspective that comes from Scripture on where we might find agreement. Mark, you received your bachelor's degree in religious studies. So how did your call to ordain ministry come about for you? It's interesting. I was raised uh, Catholic uh, Hmm. for the first half of my uh, life in terms of 14, 15 years old. Uh, My family moved to a new community. We found uh, a Methodist church in this new community and uh, immediately found connection with a youth group and a a youth pastor who is now one of my best friends. Hmm. And after all these many years... What we found in the Methodist Church was um, a real commitment to uh, practicing our faith uh, through piety as well as through justice and ministries of of love and outreach to the world. Mark, your sermon today focuses on a parable of Jesus found in Matthew 25. Would you read it for us? You bet. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. At once, the one who had received the five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. The one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one with two talents came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more. 
His master said, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, that's a hard one. We're in the middle of a series of parables Jesus told as recorded in Matthew 25. What stood out for you in this one as you prepared your sermon? My initial impulse with this text is that there's really nothing um, commendable <laughs> in the entire text. Uh, it presumes... Uh, what for many of us in the Western cultures uh, would um, would affirm from a capitalistic and competitive mindset, mm. um, but seemed so distant from the kind of God that I think most of us long for. We have uh, a story here that ends in the weeping and gnashing of teeth and mm. the outer darkness, and it's, it's not exactly your picker-upper kind of story. <laughs> and so I was approaching this text as a way of, of trying to understand the deep needs that we have as, as humans, to understand God as generous and loving, and to understand ourselves as being worthy of that love. Mark, we look forward to hearing your message on this. It's called The Parable of the Harsh Master. Thanks for sharing it with us. You bet, Dalton. Thank you. If you'd like to listen again to today's program with Mark Feldmeyer with an extended interview, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app to Day One Weekly Program, or you can stream or download it on our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404-815-9110. Read any great story, and you'll likely find yourself somewhere within it. Whether it's the Odyssey, Harry Potter, the Grapes of Wrath, or Charlotte's Web, our natural impulse is to imagine who we are in the story, or perhaps who we should be. So we create emotional attachments to certain characters, identify with their motives and dilemmas, differentiate between heroes and villains, all to draw moral lessons for how we ought to live our lives. We do this with many of the stories Jesus tells. A man going on a journey is beaten, robbed, 
left for dead in a ditch, and we naturally wonder, what would I do? Who should I be like? The priest? The Levite? The Samaritan? Or a father has two sons. One runs away, blows it big time, then comes home repenting, and we ask, who am I in this story? The prodigal, the father, the dutiful son, the fatted calf, what would or should I do? Some parables are like windows through which we see the kind of person we could be or should be if only we'd come to our senses or come clean or just do better. But Jesus tells other parables that function more like mirrors by which we see ourselves not as we should be, but as we really are. These parables are less prescriptive and aspirational and simply more unapologetically honest about who we are and how far we seem to be from the sheer joy of living in God's presence. Take the so-called parable of the talents, for example. We look to find ourselves within this story, hoping to glean some lesson for how we should live. But it turns out that what we assumed was just another window is actually a mirror, and the face staring back at us is startling. Did you find yourself in this story? There are four characters, a master and three servants. But because we're inclined to associate master with God, we assume we must be one of the three servants, which narrows it down a bit. But because the story doesn't end so well for one of those servants, we assume it's much preferable to be one of the other two and that we're supposed to emulate at least one of them. And so it seems we've now narrowed it down to two. Which of the two are we? We look to the plot elements of the story for clues. The master has amassed great wealth. He's headed out of town on business, but he can't take his cash with him. So he leaves it with his three servants to manage while he's away. He distributes his cash to the servants disproportionately, according to their apparent ability to manage it. And it's a lot of cash, by the way, a seven or eight figure sum in today's dollars. One of the servants is given five bags of cash, another two, the third, one. When the master leaves town, the first two servants invest their cash, earning substantial returns. But the one-bag servant buries his in the ground, failing even to earn interest on it. When the master returns, he demands an accounting from his servants, and the two who invested wisely are rewarded. But the one-bag servant who buried his master's cash is condemned to the outer darkness for the dreaded weeping and gnashing of teeth treatment. It's a harsh punishment, but we assume he had it coming. So the moral of the story, it seems, is clear. Don't be like the one-bag schmuck. Emulate the hard-working, wise servants, because we only have one life to give and only so much time to give it, and our divine master expects us to get to work and try harder and do more and be productive and to not waste time. Because in the kingdom of God, the operative mantra apparently is carpe diem or die. Fear of punishment can be a great motivator, and a stirring appeal to live our purpose can be a great catalyst for achievement. 
This works so well in our modern culture that values success and achievement. Do something with your life, with your God-given talent, with the treasure God has entrusted to you, or else. Only Jesus wasn't a motivational speaker. His mission wasn't self-help. And his message was never, ever to do more or to work harder or to be more productive or else. Consider the lilies of the field, Jesus says elsewhere, how they neither toil nor spin, the birds of the air, how they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Do not worry about tomorrow or store up treasures on earth. So then if we're not supposed to be the five-bag or two-bag servants, and if given his tragic circumstances, we definitely don't want to be the one-bag servant, where in this story are we to find ourselves? The parable's context in Matthew's gospel offers some hints. In Matthew 25, Jesus will soon be arrested and tried and crucified. He has little time left to say what must be said, and last words we know are often the weightiest words. So just before today's parable, he tells another about ten bridesmaids. Five are foolish, five are wise, but only the wise get to party with the groom. The foolish are, according to the story, like burnouts who've run out of gas. The wise are those who've carefully tended their flame, so to speak. Jesus seems to be saying that some people can be so busy trying to be dutiful and religious and hardworking that they finally just burn out and lose their shine. In their drive to do more, to try harder, to achieve for God, they didn't even realize that their light had gone out, and so they missed the party. Can you find yourself in that story? After today's parable, he tells one more about people who are so busy trying to be perfect and to be right and to do right and to please God that they completely fail to recognize the naked, hungry, sick, and imprisoned God hidden in plain sight before their very eyes. Just as you did not do it to one of these, he says famously, you did not do it to me. Can you find yourself in that story? Two parables about our incessant human need to please God by doing more and trying harder to make ourselves worthy, only to burn out, miss the party, overlook God's presence. And these two parables bookend our so-called parable of the talents, about three servants, two of whom try so hard to please their demanding high-expectation master, and one of whom is so fearful of that master that he doesn't dare even try for fear of failure. I knew you were a harsh man, he tells the master, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter, so I was afraid. Is Jesus suggesting here that God is like some harsh, unyielding, punitive, fear-mongering mob boss 
whom we better satisfy and gratify or else? Is he saying to all the one-bag servants of the world, God is so disappointed in you that darkness is your only destiny because in some way you have failed and you are unworthy? Does that sound like God to you? Where in all the Gospels does Jesus ever use such language to describe God or us? And yet, for so many, this is the God we've only ever known. A God who demands achievement and accomplishment in order to dispense divine approval. A God who loves us only when we follow the rules and fulfill God's expectations. A God who holds over our heads the threat of outer darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth until we finally make something worthy of ourselves. That master's standard is impossible. Because let's be honest, can we ever, ever make a 100% return on anything in life? We who strive to be the five-bag or two-bag servants will always end up bankrupt trying, while the one-bag servants might never have the courage to try at all. So what if in the end, as we look for ourselves in this story, we find we are neither of the three servants, or perhaps a bit of all three? Sometimes we achieve magnificently, and sometimes we fail miserably. And while we all want to impress, to be found worthy by God and rewarded generously, we know that kind of faith is a fool's errand. We'll never live up to the standards of that harsh master. What if in the end, this harsh master is simply a divine projection of all our insecurities and fears of failing to please God? and being found unworthy. How we conceive of God often determines how we perceive ourselves. And sometimes we need to heal our disfigured images of God so that we can hear the gospel's resounding message that we are already worthy before we ever do anything at all with our money bags. Until we finally reject our false projections about who God is and how God loves, that harsh master will always rule our lives. And we will spend every moment hustling for divine approval. Our money bags might even be filled to overflowing in the process, but our hearts will be empty. The desert fathers and mothers told about a hermit who hears a knock at the door of his hermitage. Opening the door, he sees a mother, a father, and their young daughter. They've come to ask him to pray over their daughter, who they claim has been turned into a donkey by an evil wizard. I see, says the hermit, as he invites them inside. He asks the parents to sit off to one side and then asks the girl if she's hungry. She says yes, and as the hermit prepares a meal, 
He asks her questions about things that matter to her. When the parents see the genuine love this hermit has for their daughter, their eyes are suddenly opened. They realize that the wizard hadn't cast a spell on their daughter after all and turned her into a donkey. Rather, the wizard had cast a spell on them, making them believe their daughter was a donkey. Seeing now their daughter as truly the little girl they love, they're filled with joy and tearfully embrace her. As they leave with their daughter, they express gratitude for what's happened. And their daughter is grateful too, because it's hard to be a little girl when your parents think you're a donkey. If only we could break the spell of unworthiness and behold the God beholding us smiling. Is the parable of the talents a window or a mirror? In the end, I suppose each of us gets to decide. But either way, wouldn't it be lovely to look upon it and see the face of God gazing back at us in love and smiling? Let's join together in prayer. Lord, look upon us with eyes of love. May your spirit rest upon us and within us, flowing into every cell of our bodies, into the deepest depths of our souls, recovering, restoring, returning to us your divine image, your original blessing. Amen. Our preacher today was the Reverend Mark Feldmeyer, Senior Pastor of St. Andrew United Methodist Church in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. For a free transcript of his sermon, The Parable of the Harsh Master, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Please keep in mind that Day 1 depends on the financial gifts of faithful listeners like you. Send your donation to Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. We are grateful for your help. And remember to listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the sermon archives, and much more. You can visit us online at dayone.org. This is Dalton Rushing. Next time on Day One, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Max Vincent, Senior Pastor of Johns Creek United Methodist Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. His powerful sermon is titled, The Present King. Be sure to join us next week on Day One. Day One preacher Mark Feldmeyer offers some final reflections on his sermon today, The Parable of the Harsh Master. And Mark, I'm a big reader myself, and the first sentence of your sermon grabbed me. You said, read any great story and you'll likely find yourself somewhere within it. And this is true with many of Jesus' parables, you said. Do you think that's why Jesus told so many stories? 
What do you think he was up to by offering parables rather than simply pedantically teaching the people? I think at the heart of the human consciousness is a desire to find ourselves in a narrative and mm. to envision our own lives uh, within a narrative arc of beginning and ending. And of course, our lives are are lived in the middle of that. And we're all searching for home. We're searching for love. We're searching for connection. And Jesus, I think, tapped into those stories in ways that um, pull us in immediately and allow us to walk around inside them and to find ourselves in the characters. And sometimes in all the characters and sometimes in one of those characters, but to hear the truth about either who we are or who we might become. You invited us to see ourselves in this parable of the master and the three servants. And we want to be one of the successful servants, so we grab the lesson from this that our divine master expects us to work harder, do more, be productive, because in the kingdom of heaven, the operative mantra apparently is carpe diem or die. And so many of us get trapped in that mindset, but you told us that Jesus wasn't saying this at all, and his teachings elsewhere make that clear. So this harsh master could simply be a divine projection of all of our insecurities and fears of failing to please God and being found unworthy. Sometimes, you said, we need to heal our disfigured images of God. So, how might we do that healing? I think it begins with giving ourselves permission to reimagine who God is uh, based on our real lived experiences, based on reengaging some of the historic uh, Hebrew and Christian uh, understandings of God that, um, that predate a more modernistic approach. Hmm. And certainly this particular parable of talents is is framed out within the context of competition hmm. and capitalism and fear and punishment. And none of these leads to a healthy uh, understanding and relationship uh, with, an, uh, with God. And so we have many understandings of God that, that lead us, I think, down alleys that are dark and that are scary. Uh, and some of those understandings are used in ways to compel us to believe more and to try harder when maybe what this parable is inviting us to do is actually to do less mm. um, and to be and to receive. To paraphrase that great line from a U2 song, free yourself to be yourself mm. if only you could see yourself. And I found myself singing and humming that tune as I wrote this particular sermon to be free um, and to see ourselves as God would see us as beloved. Mark, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? Stop doing. Hmm. Be in your body. Understand that before you do or try to be anything, the one who beholds you beholds you in love, uh, always smiling at God's own creation. Mark Feldmeyer, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Dalton. Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever. Forever.